Spurs troops, lots happening and thought best not to make a podcast for last night's Europa fixture, which we'll probably get a mention later on in our talk, um, but I'm sure Howard has something of interest from our past encounters with West Ham, as this fixture always seems to throw up talking points. So welcome, Tom, welcome, Howard. Right. Have you Steve. have you had your fill of pancakes? Did you celebrate <laughs> Valentine's Day? For instance, I know that I've had my vaccine, so that's sort of enough for me. Have you had an interesting time? Well, as you can imagine. Uh... <laughs> Let me give you my Valentine's story. Not that I used to live in a mansion, but we were end end of a long drive, so I never saw what was delivered or who arrived or left from my neighbor's houses. So it was very private. Now, of course, we're downsized and we've got lovely neighbors directly opposite us, which is fine. When we see them through the window, we wave and all that stuff. It's great. So um, until it comes to Valentine's Day, which I've got to be honest, I don't get too involved with. So on Valentine's Day, a delivery van turns up with flowers to the opposite house and 10 minutes later another van pulls up with some sort of parcel i don't know what's involved chocolates maybe etc so i texted my good neighbor andy and said andy listen you're now embarrassing me any chance if another delivery lorry comes up here i'm gonna have to call the blinds down i can't stand this so um so yeah but 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 they're great neighbors uh, especially if you're listening to this, Andy, which I know is not. Uh, so talking about West Ham, usually talking points, I still can't get out of my head uh, their equaliser to make the home game earlier this season feel like a loss and started lots of comments and opinions about our ability to defend or otherwise. Putting loyalty to our great club aside, that Lanzini shot was an amazing hit into the top corner. And to use the word unstoppable was was correct, but only applies to when or once the ball was struck goalwards. As before that was the very valid reasons as to why the doubts grew and questions asked about defending defending our goal, although the goals tally, especially at that time, was more than okay on the face of it. So another penalty last night adds to those doubts. And when the shot hit the bar, it did bring back memories of the three-goal lead last time, the West Ham, that was allowed to slip. Thankfully, that didn't happen. And a fourth goal and some substitutions brought a more safe and then satisfied feeling to the end result when thinking about the return game next week. When watching past goals against your team, be it as a supporter, coach, manager, or scout from future opponents, 
we don't just look at the last part, the, the, the goal, the shot at goal, as I did with the, with the great Lanzini strike. It's safe to say that there's normally about five situations beforehand of any goal that on another day could and maybe should be sorted or solved. And if had been, it wouldn't have ended up being in the goals against column. Without doubt, you sometimes have to give your opponent the respect and credit too of knowing that they train, they practice, they plan, they get paid for what they do. And you know what? They want to win matches as much as we do. But now to use the tennis term, unforced errors from your own players or poor reactions or laziness or trying to be overcommitted, not patient enough, too casual in possession. And particularly, which I hate, no conscience when losing possession in the wrong part of the pitch. And then the alarm bells should start ringing. The old school pundits such as Graham Souness and Roy Keane are always pointing out a lack of energy to recover to goal and a lack of desire to get back goal side of the ball. And these were aspects that we used, were used when judging a performance in, in all our younger days, particularly Bill Nicholson and Eddie Bailey. Like those two, I'm looking for the player who cares that he or his team, for that matter, has lost possession of the ball and therefore go into emergency gear in the recovery running aspect to be able to protect their goal. Of course, this is easier for some players than others, obviously, but it was explained to me by proper, and I mean proper, football judges. I have to add, not I'm going off beam here, but not necessarily like the most most of the drivel we're subjected to, both on TV and especially phone-ins on the radio. Of course, it's a different subject, but I feel they're scraping the barrel as to the informed football comment or so-called expert opinion. And most people I speak to are completely turned off by it. So back to my point, it was explained to me by the that the very best players are those who can turn defence into attack or attack into defence the quickest, which comes down to most of the time to your reactions and ability stroke technique. I watched Dave Mackay only for a limited time in my apprenticeship years but something that I noticed about him was that when his defensive brain read or anticipated the through ball against us, he wasn't just prepared to gain the possession and play back to his goalkeeper. On many occasions with just one touch, usually a volley, he saw, for instance, Cliff Jones on the wing. And as I said, with one touch, special touch, pass the ball to Cliff to start up an attacking move for us. Of course, you need a superior kicking technique to be able to do this. 
But you already know my thoughts on the great Dave Mackay. His amazing ability that seems to be overshadowed by his aggression, highlighted by the Billy Brenner photograph. Dave Mackay was so much more than that. The perfect example of defense to attack in a flash. And on the other hand, you can imagine, because it's fresh in our memories, Harry Kane, whilst trying to carve out an opening in the attacking sense, because that's what his game is, it doesn't quite happen, then his reaction to immediately try to win the ball back or at least put pressure on the man, the opponent on the ball so his teammates can win it quicker, even if he can't. Two shining examples of turning defence into attack or attack into defence that all young players should be shown, taught and must be highlighted in their development. So, Howard, come on, give us what you've got. Good evening to you. And uh, I, I didn't let you answer about the Valentine stuff and the vaccine <laughs> stuff and pancakes, but... I'll give you a brief Valentine's story, which is not really Valentine's, but giving flowers to Please one's do. wife. Please do. And my, my eldest brother would buy flowers every Friday evening for his wife, irrespective, every week. So one day, one, it was a Friday, my car was in for repair and he was giving me a lift home. So it's Friday, so he pulls up at the normal place. He says, I'm going to get the flowers. Shall I, are you getting any for Viv? I said, if she found me bringing home flowers, she was sure I was up to something. Absolutely. I, I have the same I have the same conversation now. So Ronnie sure. came out with two, two lots of bouquets. He said, that one's for Viv. So I took it in, and fortunately she said, Ronnie gave you a lift home, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well done, Viv. She's yeah. on the ball again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so anyway. Howard, what you got for us? Got a few different matches against West Ham in different situations. The League Cup was only created in the early 60s, but Spurs chose not to take part until 66. And our first match, we were away, drawn away to West Ham. In order to generate interest in the competition, the match was relayed live to the Odeon Cinema at Marble Arch. And we lost 1-0 to a Jeff strike. That was the only time I've ever seen us on the big screen. Neither I nor the Football League wanted to repeat the experience. In January 68, Martin Chivers joined us from Southampton, making his debut against Sheffield Wednesday and starting well by scoring in a 2-1 win. But shortly after this, Chivers suffered with a very bad knee injury and was out for the best part of a year. When he got back to full fitness, he was ineffective. Nicholson didn't know what to do with him, so allegedly told him to go and watch how Jeff Hurst plays the game. Watch and learn. He did just that. And for the next few seasons, he was magnificent. So for that, thank you, West Ham. Absolutely. In August 1970, our first home match of the season was against West Ham. Final score to all. Their first goal scored by Jimmy Greaves and, as previously mentioned, applauded by me. In November 75, we were drawn against them again in the League Cup. It was a nil-nil draw. This season was the one and only season where Terry Neal was manager for the entire year. We won the replay at Upton Park 2-0. I remember it was a very wet night and we had an umbrella. We stayed to cheer the team after the game. I particularly recall that game because we were excited to win and get through to the last eight, but it was just Terry and me at the match this evening and we were talking for over ever about the defensive style we didn't like, as opposed to the result, which of course we did like. Trying to convince ourselves that we'd be happy just to win things. 
Over 40 years later, we don't need to review the discussion. We can just press playback on our phones and the debate rages on. Only the names have been changed to protect the not so innocent. Now, during our debate that night, we realised we'd left the umbrella at the stadium. So if any of you are going to London Stadium this Sunday, maybe you can check with West Ham's lost property in case someone's handed it in. And my, and my last match, match to mention tonight was Boxing Day 1985. We won 1-0, a last-minute winner following a corner. The scorer, his last goal for the club, Mr Steve Perryman. Well mentioned, Howard. When you were talking about the Terry Neal game against West Ham, um, I can honestly tell you that it was not a defensive setup at that mm. time. Um, Terry Neal encouraged me to be more attacking than ever Bill Nick did. For Bill Nick, I was the sort of blanket in the middle of the field. But when Terry came, he encouraged me to get in front of the ball. Mm. And I scored six goals in in. Terry's full season with us. So uh, I think it just was that we weren't good enough and therefore teams were pushing yeah. us back and therefore we were defending. So, so yeah, I, I don't think that was any great um, criticism of, of Terry Neal at the time. I think Thank you, Howard. No chance, he had no chance of ever getting the crowd put on his head. No, himself. of course not. Of course not. So the game I'm going to talk about, uh, Howard against West Ham, is on February the 2nd, 1987. I'd left the, the club. Um, it was a 5-0 victory in the replay of the League Cup round five after drawing 1-1 at Upton Park. I returned to, so I went back to Spurs for my first visit under my own steam. As then I was manager of Brentford Football Club. So certainly not scouting future opponents, but more interested in how the club was progressing with David Pleat in charge. They finished third place in the league and to get to the semi-final of the League Cup after winning this replay that I'm going to talk about against West Ham and also reaching the final of the FA Cup to be beaten by Coventry. So all this suggested that things were fairly bright and moving forward, but ended up being just short when it mattered. Richard Goff, Ray Clements, Michael Thomas, Chris Waddle, Gary Mabbott and Clive Allen were the mainstays of the team that year. Of course, Glenn and Ozzy and all that, but in terms of the near full season's appearances, it was those players that, that were regularly there. Clive Allen scored that season a magnificent total of 49 goals. An unbelievable tally. And West Ham were made to suffer more than most, as in the four games against the Hammers that season, he scored seven goals. In that particular game I'm talking about, the 5-0 win at home, when he scored his second of three goals, the match commentator said, that was Clive Allen's 38th goal in 38 matches. And guess what? His 39th goal was not too far away. So it made me think, I'm not sure that Clive gets enough recognition for that season's goal tally. And... Also, that if the club had been successful in that FA Cup final, maybe, you know, a few more points in the league to win it, 
not easy, I know. Um, and, you know, victory over Arsenal in the semi-final might have meant a, a League Cup win. But had we got silverware that year, I think Clive's goal tally would have been more recognised by, by everyone. So I phoned Clive up. I said, Clive, um, did you feel that you got enough recognition? He said, Steve, I was voted player's player of the year. <laughs> and not only that, I was the football writer's player of the year. Great. Clive, you did get recognition, so I'm wrong. So good job I made that phone call. What made that such a special season for not only you with the goals, but the club? And he said it was all about the system they played. They, they filled the midfield. David Pleat gave absolute freedom to Glenn. But in general, they outnumbered the opponents in midfield. People would say to Clive, Clive, this system's no good for you because you're, you're left upfield on your own. But Steve, <laughs> I wasn't on my own. I had so many players. Because we had so much possession, I had so many players joining me from midfield. That of course, I had partners, but different partners, uh, but mainly Glenn as well. So he said, before we went into every game, we believed that we could outscore the opponents. And I think that just needs remembering. You know, 49 goals in a season. If you have two strikers that score over 20 goals, you've got a very, very good chance of being successful. Clive got 49 on his own. So that's almost two strikers worth 25 goals each. So um, back to West Ham. Um, I've always enjoyed playing against them. Uh, very tough opponents. I really like John Lyle, who eventually became their manager. Very genuine, honest guy. And Billy Bonds, I think, was one of the best opponents you could have in midfield. Totally fair, but a warrior, a proper, proper footballer up and back. When I talk about recovering to goal, Billy Bonds could get recover back to his own goal line and then the next minute it'd be up on your goal line threatening your goal. Phil Parks, the goalkeeper, was turned into a good friend of mine who I really liked. And Alan Devonshire, I had in... Um, when I took over at Watford. So some good characters at West Ham, both on the field and, and behind the scenes. Of course, Eddie Bailey, who I spoke about earlier, and Bill Nicholson, they both went to West Ham for, for a spell when, when they left Tottenham and, um, and shared their wisdom uh, for, the, for the good cause of, of West Ham United. So finishing up, um, someone's just a uh, quite special guy, Ash um, of Maidenhead Spurs. His birthday is today that we, you know, we're doing this podcast, which is Friday. You may not get it till, till tomorrow morning, but um, yeah. Um, so I wish our team good luck. We should have some confidence after after the result in midweek. Going to be very interesting. The team he picks with Gareth Bale coming, you know, finding a bit of form, and and Deli Ali being used, 
to achieve a good result, then who knows what the selection is going to be. But hopefully it's good enough to um, to take on and beat the, the Hammers on Sunday. Okay, thank you for listening. Do appreciate it. And um, we'll see you all next week. Uh, no, no podcast for the uh, Europa game again. So I think the next game is Burnley. Am I right, chaps? Spot on. Spot on. Thank you very much. Okay, come on, you Spurs. See you later. Bye-bye.